General Baptist Ministries has been called by God to exist for the church. We aren't here so General Baptist can help us to do ministry. We are here to help the church do ministry and to fulfill its commission by God to make disciples of all nations and preach the good news to every man, woman, boy, and girl. We partner with churches because we believe that we can do more together than any one person or church can do alone. I'm Danny Donovan, President of General Baptist Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Doing Together. Doing Together is about sharing the ways that General Baptist partner together so that your church can fulfill its calling. In this first episode of Season 3 of Doing Together, I am joined by Mark Powell, the Vice President for Global Missions, and we are having a conversation today about the founding of General Baptists 200 years ago this month. Yes, General Baptists were started in October of 1823 in Evansville, Indiana. So, Mark, welcome to Doing Together today. Thanks for uh, talking with me about uh, General Baptist history. Yeah, I am really excited about it. Looking forward to it. One of my favorite topics. Yeah, I think one of the first times I can remember talking to you about anything back many years ago when I was a younger man was we were we both are passionate about this topic and something that we have in common. And so I've it's been something that we bonded over a lot over the years. It has, indeed. Yeah. Um, so what we want to do is to share a little bit about the the history of General Baptists and where we came from, what we're celebrating here 200 years later. And um, so just kind of start off with some of the backgrounds behind uh, General Baptists and one of the one of the big things we have to talk about first is Baptist history in general. So um, we'll just kind of bounce back and forth here if we could. But can you talk, tell a little bit about the background of of Baptists? What is it? Where, where, what are Baptists? Where do they come from? Kind of a question. Uh, yeah, Baptists were born in Holland. They were from a, a group of, of believers who had fled England because of religious persecution, made their way to Holland. Um, a fellow named John Smith uh, was one of the leaders of that group. And uh, it's an interesting group because out of that same group would come the Baptist and mm-hmm. the Pilgrim Fathers to yeah. the United States. Right. The Gainsborough and, Church there in, outside of London. Right? So it's a really interesting uh, part of history. But they were convinced that infant baptism wasn't correct. And, and they became known as rebaptizers because they started rebaptizing people with the conviction that believers' baptism was the only proper mode of baptism. And so that was the beginning. That group happened to be also Armenian, and that's where the name General Baptist originally came from. Right. Yeah, it was always interesting to me, the story of Smith. Um, we were going to talk about Benoni Stinson, but uh, a little bit more here. But um, John Smith always kind of interested me as this guy who was always searching for the true church, right? He was in... He so much thought that he couldn't find any true churches in his time that he baptized himself in that first uh, that first baptism, believer's baptism in that first Baptist church was him baptizing himself, which I've always found a funny, <laughs> funny story. It's called Say Baptism for any of those who like trivia questions out there. And uh, he baptizes himself and then baptizes a bunch of other people. And then later comes along behind and goes, I didn't think that was a real baptism either. <laughs> Um, so he's an interesting character. Um, so as Baptists arise, they they flourish there in England. Um, there's two different groups, of course, in England. You said that we, the first group was the General Baptist under Smith, and then his compatriot at the time was a guy named Thomas Helwese. Yes. And uh, Helwese writes some of the earliest writings we have about Baptist beliefs and Baptist uh, life there in England. Um, and really interesting fellow was probably the guy was that was the financial support behind the early Baptist groups. But then there was another group that got started just a little bit later on, um, another group of, of Baptists that were called the, the uh, Particular Baptists. So you have the General Baptists and the Particular Baptists, and the Particular Baptists were uh, Calvinist in their beliefs, and the General Baptists Arminian in their beliefs. It was the classic divide at that time of church history, Calvinism and Armenianism. 
and uh, it continues somewhat to this day to some degree. Yeah, uh, the the they bring that here to the to America whenever they come, and um, again, the First Baptist Church here in America ends up being General Baptist, but like in England, the predominant version quite quickly ends up being particular Baptists. Um, and so it's a great, great story of uh, those two groups coming here, um, starting, flourishing. and But then the, another real important background behind General Baptist history is this idea of revivals and revivalism. Absolutely. And, and uh, so you, you end up with uh, not just the Baptists, but everybody. And the first, what is sometimes historians would say is like the first truly American experience, American event that like all the colonists experienced together was the first Great Awakening. And uh, we were talking, you and I were talking earlier about some of the uh, interesting stories coming out of that uh, first Great Awakening. And it's great, great, <laughs> great stuff. Just like in our our day today, people may not recognize this, but people not everyone agreed with no. the revivals. No, they didn't. They didn't all agree, and it and it and it caused some division uh, because you had predominantly Calvinists who were engaged in uh, what would be clearly viewed as a proclamation of the gospel with a call to respond, which is not exactly the idea of Calvinism, right? Yeah, they were the they call them the new lights and the old lights in that uh, time frame with the first great awakening. But you famously, maybe people would be aware of in that first or what's sometimes just called the great awakening. Uh, they may have experienced the, or heard the sermon by Jonathan Edwards, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," and uh, that that was an interesting uh, context for or expression of that early. Revival here in the United States. George Whitfield was actually the primary personality behind that. Whitfield's travel and sermons were the the thing that kind of brought the colonies together. As I said earlier, it's like the first American event was his traveling around, and um, he preached extemporaneously. He preached outdoors um, to larger crowds. Um, it was an interesting character in his own right, and uh, but then. Edwards, Sinners on the Hands of an Angry God. Um, people sometimes think that this was like a, a really exuberant, we think of it like as some kind of almost like charismatic today would be, right. and it definitely wasn't. Um, I was telling you earlier that there are some accounts that say that possibly he even was facing away from the congregation as he was reading that sermon, and people were holding on to the pillars of the church lest they fall into hell as he describes this. Great story. Um, but uh, Edwards was a mediating figure in the First Great Awakening. He was not a uh, like a uh, one of the more exuberant, uh, the excessors. Uh, there were other stories of those folks that were kind of going the f- too far the other direction. And then you had plenty of folks who were like, no, this is not something we should be doing. That was, you know, that was first Great Awakening. We we waited as um, really a generation later, and you had uh, something that's called the Second Great Awakening, or the part that was important for us is what's also called the Great Western Revival. Right. Um, yeah, that's an amazing story. Uh, starts in Kentucky, mm-hmm. in really in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, you know, there's a there's a Presbyterian pastor. His name is McGreedy, and he's Writing a circuit of churches and challenging churches to uh, to pray for this revival to take place, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it happens. And you know there are written reports of as many as ten thousand people congregating uh, to uh, to be part of this great revival. And the whole state of Kentucky, or wasn't even a state at the time. That's right. The whole area barely had that many people. And That's so right. it's it's pretty amazing to hear the stories about the number of people who are coming. You know, on wagons and horseback to to participate and, and see this revival taking place. Yeah, it happened. The, that first, well, McGreedy was doing his thing, and then but then the first like big one that you're talking about there is Cane Ridge, mm-hmm. outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, McGreedy actually, I don't know if we we hadn't talked about this, but McGreedy ends up being one of the guys that's a part of the Cumberland Presbytery of the of the Presbyterian Church. And so, if you ever heard of the Cumberland Presbyterians, McGreedy was like one of the 
predecessors to that. He never would join the Cumberland Presbyterians, but uh, those same folks that started that, what is today a denomination, they were close compatriots of his and of the same kind of mind. And it's interesting the how McGreedy's life overlaps with Stinson's. We're going to talk about in a minute. For example, Stinson was married in in Henderson, Kentucky, during the same time uh, James McGreedy was living in Henderson, Kentucky, and that's a small town at that point. Wow! So you know, we don't. I had not heard that. That's yeah. interesting. So um, there's a there's a whole lot of really interesting stuff coming out of that awakening. For Baptists, this was like super important moment in time because the revivals were kind of a catalyst for a uniting of various kinds of Baptists under a single banner. So you end up with uh, those that are Calvinist, those that are more Arminian. Um, there's a couple of different groups that are called the separate Baptists and the regular Baptists that kind of come together under one banner, and they call them United Baptists. And so Benoni Stinson ends up arising out of the United Baptist context. Yeah, the, the Second Great Awakening was interesting in that it, 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 it in a way it brought together uh, movements like the Baptist. Uh, you, had, you had still the Calvinistic inclining Baptists and the Armenian inclining Baptists who come together as United Baptists. At the same time, it gave birth to new denominations like yep. the Cumberland Presbyterians, Church of Christ, General Baptist to some degree as well. Yep. And you you end up with also coming out of that the the probably the biggest winners on the frontier of where most of this was going on out in the West would have been the Methodists. And we don't, we usually think of today about the Methodists in a different kind of light, but they really flourished in the United States. So that there was a point in time when Methodists were the largest denominational grouping in the United States in those years when they were really growing out of the Second Great Awakening before there was a lot of influx of Catholic influence uh, coming in and immigration from uh, different Catholic parts of Europe. So um, there's a, a great Methodist story that comes out of that too, which their beliefs, Arminian beliefs, the Cumberland Presbyterians are, whether they'll agree with this or not, uh, we could argue, and I have argued with Cumberland Presbyterians about this past, that they're Arminian because they believe in general atonement and uh, they are, believe in conditional election, some of the similar things that uh, other Armenians do. But um, so that, that these United Baptists, all the world awakenings are taking place, and it's in the context of that, in the what we would think of as the frontier, um, we we don't think about Kentucky and, and Indiana as being frontier places, but they were at that point in time, at the turn of the, the in, in the 1800s, it was considered the West. It was the West, right? Mm -hmm. It was, we, we don't think about that, but that was the West. And uh, so you end up with, that becomes the context in which Benoni Stinson will be born and uh, kind of first have his first um, parts of his life. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Benoni Stinson. Benoni Stinson is the guy who founds General Baptist, but his, his story is, a, it's a really an amazing story overall. Um, and, and tragic. To, yeah. to a large degree, yeah. So his early life, um, his early life was was really a tragic kind of a story. Uh, his father was a veteran of the Revolutionary War, and his uh, his father and his brother, who was like another father to him, John B. Stinson, was uh, they were both veterans of the War of eighteen twelve. Um, John B., you and I got to go to a, a recognition of John B.'s graveside there in Evansville now. John B. was the very first sheriff of Anderberg County and an early General Baptist minister as well, but he was a, a important to Benoni Stinson's life. And um, so they were both veterans, but that came with a lot of baggage too, um, especially with his his relationship with his father. So... By all accounts, his father, um, they didn't really, didn't really have the kind of language for this then, but probably his father suffered from some form of PTSD. Right. Uh, coming out of the Revolutionary War. Um, he was an alcoholic. Um, he was, as they would say, prone to wander and would just leave the family for long periods of time. 
there on the frontier. Um, Stinson, his mother kind of gets fed up and goes back to live with her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Benoni Stinson ends up coming really what we would say today is like a, it's a, it was a broken home. Um, he would lived in foster care with a neighbor for a period of time, kind of, they didn't really have the system of foster care like we have it today, but some version of that is what Stinson grew up with. Yeah, as I recall, the term they used was bound out was, yeah. was the court term that they used. And and basically uh, almost like an indentured servant to exactly. some degree. Right. Yeah. Which indentured servanthood in that context was very closely akin to um, what would in the, especially in those parts of the United States at the time, very close to what you would think of as what slaves did. Right. Um, and so Stinson came out of that kind of a, of a childhood. He was described as being sickly, that he was not well nourished. Um, he ended up being a very small stature, and it's kind of indications there. It's probably because he wasn't nourished properly as a child. So he was probably under five foot tall. Um, he, he was, he's living in a, in a, you know, so poor health, foster care, broken family, you know, he, his relationships are, are difficult. He doesn't have a great experience with, with, uh, early Christianity early on in his life. He was not a Christian growing up really, right? Probably um, had a little exposure to it. Yes. He did have his, one of his brothers, Lewis, ends up being a preacher um, when he's still a boy, though. And they're one of my maybe maybe one of my favorite early Stinson stories is there's this story of that Lewis was preaching a sermon that it, Stinson Benoni had heard him preach before. Have you heard the story? Yes. And that he would that it, um, it was something about the basically the second coming of Christ. And he knew at one point that that his brother Lewis was going to speak about the trumpet sounding. And so he Benoni had one of his friends up in the in a tree above the crowd, and um, he whenever he came to that point, he signaled his friend who had a tin horn, and he blew the tin horn, and it said that the crowd dispersed. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you, you kind of you hear see the mischievous Stinson in, in that story. You know, there's also, whenever people are telling the stories of historical figures, you always have, if you're going to have a, a saintly person coming along, then you have to tell the story of when they weren't very saintly, right? right? In order to point out the work of Christ in their life. I mean, it, the stories that could be told of my life might, you know, look very similar to that, actually. Uh, some of the people who had me in Sunday school at, uh, say, at that time, Dexter Second General Baptist Church, or in my, my home church that my dad pastored, called Trotter Church. I couldn't get a Sunday school teacher. So, I, I mean, there are stories like that about me. I don't know how saintly you want to talk about me being, but uh, we would expect those kinds of things. But that's a, it's a great, one of my favorite stories of Stinson. Um, but it, he gets married to his wife, Ruth, 1819. And uh, and that's in Henderson, Kentucky. Yeah, he gets married in Henderson. Somehow he and his mother are reunited in southern Indiana. Correct. In in uh, in what would be Hazleton, Indiana today. They live there for a period of time. Uh, he and his mother lives with he and Ruth for a period of time in Hazleton as well. Um, before they move back to Vandenberg County later on. But Ruth was by any any examination of things, Ruth was a, was important for him finding Christ. Um, that, that story has been told a million times about how, um, you know, the, the right spouse is able to, to lead their spouse to, to Christ. So within a year, Stinson is saved. Absolutely. It is an amazing story, amazing influence. Uh, still trying to seek his way. Yeah, and so after marrying Ruth in, in in Kentucky, Henderson, Kentucky, they end up back in Southern Kentucky, right, uh, where they come under the influence of a uh, pastor named Matthew Floyd, right, and uh, Stinson is converted, right, uh, under Floyd's ministry, eighteen twenty, and one year later he is ordained and given the responsibility uh, for a church in that area as yep. well. Also 
called Liberty Church. Liberty at uh, Little Sinkin. Little Sinkin, Kentucky, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you think about that. He gets married in 1819. He gets saved in 1820. He becomes a pastor in 1821. I mean, this is a quick succession of things. And in 1821, he would have only been 22 years old when he was ordained. Um, so yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, um, young man. Um, this is, this is. It's just a. It's a story of, uh, you know, someone who's bold in in what will happen then in the next couple of years. He was. We often think about this guy, and we think of if you ever seen a picture of him, you think of him as maybe as an old man with a long beard and maybe a, a scowl on his face or something. <laughs> but this was this is a young man. This is a very young man. And whenever all these things are happening. Now, there's already a controversy brewing, even at this particular time. We're on the tail end of the Second Great Awakening. That's right. And uh, there are, uh, and, and missions is becoming a topic. Right. Uh, Carey becomes the father of modern missions. He is, he's from England. Right. And he goes to the, uh, to the British East Indian Company, or India, as we would think of it. And uh, then America gets involved. And there's a couple of gentlemen, and Adoniram Judson, considered the father of, of missions in the United States, first U.S. Uh, missionary, yep. and, and, a, and a fellow Congregationalist uh, who, in fact, there were several of them who decided they're going to become missionaries. Right. And, and so they, they lead the Congregationalists to form a missionary society. Yep. They get support from the Congregationalists. And... Uh, and 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 Adoniram Judson and his wife, they know that they're going to meet Carrie and these Baptists once they get to India. So during the long uh, ship journey, they study scripture to you know to to engage the Baptists over this topic of baptism because they they baptize infants and the Baptists are, right. are basically rebaptizers still. And uh, and Judson uh, decides. That the Baptists are right, mm-hmm. and so when he gets to India, well, he just read the Bible. That's all that happened, right? <laughs> when he gets to India, he gets baptized by the Baptists. Another person in the in the group, Luther Rice, on another ship, right, does the exact, exact same thing. He's studying the Bible. He gets baptized, and and now you know here they are supported by Congregationalists, but they have they decide that they're Baptist, so they resign from this. Foreign missionary society that they basically formed, correct, leaving themselves without support. <laughs> Carey begins a, a, a letter writing campaign to the Baptists back in the United States to support this new mission. Luther Rice returns, and uh, I often say Luther Rice is probably the untold hero of this story because yep. he begins to he he puts thousands of miles on horseback going to Baptist associations and Baptist churches, asking for them to support this mission in India. And it becomes extremely controversial. Yep. Uh, again, Baptists are already divided between Armenian and Calvinists, more Calvinists than Armenians. They're not sure how this fits in their theology. Do we support this? Is this the right thing to do? And as it begins to travel west... There's already this mistrust for right. everything East. Correct. Yep. So then there's a famous quote by a guy that was there on the frontier a uh, similar period of time. His name was John Taylor. I don't know if you've ever heard the quote about that whenever he first heard one of those preachers promoting the mission societies that what he, he said, I smelled a New England rat. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> it was anti-East Coast, you know, the frontier folks, they didn't trust. It sounds a lot, a lot like people today in the Midwest, right? It's like, I don't trust those people in Washington. It's like the same kind of, of an ethos that, that was present even then, um, and because partly because they were looked down on. Absolutely. And uh, the Westerners were looked down on as being uncouth, even the stories that are told uh, some of those early traveling folks you're talking about, and we'll talk about maybe Peck in a minute, but he has stories about how terrible those people lived and how dirty they were, and um, so they were looked down upon, and so they didn't have much love for each other, it didn't seem like. So Stinson's converted under Matthew Floyd's ministry, and and this controversy, controversy is already brewing in this area of Kentucky, 
And, and one thing we do know about Matthew Floyd, there's a there's a multi-volume history of Baptists written by a man named Spencer. Yeah, on and, and, about Kentucky Baptists. About Kentucky Baptists, right. right. And, and it's clear from Spencer's history that Matthew Floyd was in favor of missions. Correct. And that he was a pro-missionary advocate. And, and so it's not uh, at all coincidental, I think, that, that Stinson was influenced by that. Um, he was part of, basically so part of the great, uh, Second Great Awakening. He's influenced by a pastor who, who's, who he's converted under and who would later ordain him, uh, who is pro-missions. And, and that is kind of his, the place where he's at on his spiritual journey. The association had an article in, in their uh, statements of faith that the right. preaching that Jesus tasted of for every, na- every man will not be a bar to fellowship. But then he leaves and comes back to Indiana, Stinson right. does. Yeah, so that's something that maybe people need to make those the connection of, between missions and these revivals, right? And, the, and then the, the connection between that and then this preaching that Christ tasted death for every man. Like those three things are intimately connected in the life of Stinson, because um, doing, you know, being for missions means that you ultimately will, within this controversy, means that you're also going to be for revivalism. Right. Right. So if you are for efforts to help people be saved overseas through mission societies, you also are going to be the same kind of people that are for efforts to encourage people to be saved on the frontier at the time through, through the revivals. If you are against the efforts in the mission societies, thus would be called hard shell Calvinists because they they believe that you shouldn't even put any effort into helping people get saved because either they were elect or they weren't, right? And uh, if you do, if you believe that, then you also don't believe in calling people to salvation through the revivals because they, if they're elect, then they're elect, and uh, so no missions, no revivals, and so the 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 Arminian beliefs. The beliefs around um, the the doing of of foreign missions through foreign mission societies and the promulgation of the gospel through um, the camp meeting were all hand in hand through this context. Yeah, even even to the point uh, of uh, of education, right? You know, Bible schools, log uh, colleges, as they called them. Right. Yeah. Uh, the there was a group of Baptists who were against all of it, any kind of effort, any kind of means. Yep. Uh, they were absolutely opposed to it, and those were the terms that they would use. Uh, yep, um, they uh, used it several times the word effort. Uh, they believe that since uh, God is sovereign and people have no choice in their in their in their future conversion, uh, there was no no effort wasn't necessary, means weren't necessary. It was inevitable that it w- they would be saved. Right, and it was, a, it was an amazingly deep divide among Baptists. Yeah, and so it was into that fray that Stinson um, moves to Indiana. I mean, that's he's, he's exactly that moment in time. Stinson moves to Indiana. He, um, it's un, it's unclear exactly to, to my research. It's unclear whether the church that he he ends up being a part of, New Hope, um, as they would back then, and there was no such thing as the Churches of Christ. They would have called a Baptist church would be called. New Hope Church of Christ back then. And so this New Hope Church, it um, it was either formed right before he got there or it was formed through revivals that he was doing. But Stinson is the leader of that church, and he ends up um, getting, wanting to, in the, in they, if you form a church, the first thing you do if you're a Baptist is you go to the association. You go to the association, <laughs> right? You have to join an association. It is an absolute necessity. They wouldn't have thought of it any other way. And so they go to the association meeting to join. And what what do they encounter when they get there? Well, there's a there there's a, a huge controversy going on. It's called the Wabash District Association. Right. And there's a huge controversy that's going on in this association. There is a an elder by the name of Daniel Parker who is very, very anti-missions. 
Uh, I, I mean, he's the he's the biggest mouthpiece he, of that movement. He is the biggest mouthpiece, and and he is he is there in that association. There seems to be a divide in the association between Illinois churches and Indiana churches. Mm-hmm. There was a, a gentleman by the name of of uh, McCoy. He was also an elder mm-hmm. who was actually who actually became employed with this new Baptist mission yeah. society. Isaac McCoy. He was out of Vincennes, Indiana. I yes. think if I remember. Yeah. So he's influencing the churches on the Illinois side, their pro-missions, and then Parker's influence, influencing the churches on the Illinois side, their anti-missions, and uh, and it became a very heated controversy between McCoy's church and uh, Parker's church. So they start bringing charges against each other yeah. to the association, and then finally, for heresy, for, for heresy, whatever you say, whenever you're bringing up charges, they're bringing up charges of heresy. This isn't like, hey, we don't, we, we don't agree with you about this. Something they're bringing up charges of heresy. You're outside the faith, right? So McCoy is scheduled to be in one of the churches in Illinois, and Parker decides he's going to confront him, and he confronts him at that church, and uh, and in that confrontation, uh, he would say, "quote Thus began the war on the Wabash," and the controversy just grew from from there. And Stinson lands right in the middle of this controversy. So the Wabash district is going to meet in uh, in eighteen twenty two. In fact, they have a called meeting in, at Patoka in June of eighteen twenty two at Patoka Meeting House. Um, Parker is going to be one of the speakers. McCoy ends up not being a speaker. In fact, McCoy ends up not coming to the association. But the leading advocate for missions in, again, what was called the West, a man named John Mason Peck, Mm -hmm. who was extremely influential uh, in not general Baptist circles, but in other Baptist circles in in the Midwest, he shows up to represent the missions camp. And so you have... Was no doubt the leading voice of missions in the West and the leading anti-missions voice in the West at the same meeting at Patoka, and Stinson has a front row seat. Yeah, and that is the it is that it is that actual meeting that he is he comes to to petition for membership in this association. So imagine you you coming in and you and to the association for the first time. And it's like I'm going to go meet my brothers and sisters here. We're going to join and cooperate with each other, and you, what do you end up happening? This huge blow-up happens, and it's right there in the middle of that. Uh, my, one of my uh, favorite quotes of Stinson right there, he describes that as, the Calvinists preached their hard doctrine, and I thought wounded the cause of God. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what it was like. I mean, John Mason Peck, in writing in a letter that he would write about that meeting, uh, he says the subject of missions was discussed in the most ample manner for more than five hours, and Parker exerted every talent and ingenuity and intrigue to carry his point. Five hours yep. sounds, to this anti Sounds like the old General Association meeting, is it to me? I don't yeah, know, maybe. It <laughs> so it's at this meeting. So what, one of the things that also happens at that meeting is that the association, association has become too spread out, too large, and so they decide they're going to split it into a couple of parts, and Wabash District is going to continue to exist, but they also decide they're going to start a new association called Salem Association. And uh, so they they get a new association. We're going to organize it. So in order to organize the association, you have to come up with the Articles of Faith. And so at that, you know, in that, Stinson gets basically on the committee to put together the Articles of Faith. So he goes into this, he thinks he's going to, maybe he can get something put in there. What he had had, like you quoted from earlier from Kentucky, that the preaching that Christ should taste, that that Christ tasted death for every man shouldn't be a bar to fellowship. He didn't want everybody to agree with him. He just wanted them to let him do his thing. Right. To be able to do his revivals, to preach the message he thought would draw people to be saved and he thought was the right Christian doctrine. And whenever he goes to this meeting to get this happen, uh, lo and behold, Daniel Parker shows up. <laughs> and it's in in that context, um, he says that he could not get anything inserted, but that which was consistent with unconditional election. In other words, hard shell Calvinism. Right. And, the, and he, he would say, whether I believe it 
or not, I was forced to bow to their doctrine. Yeah. And so I decided I was, and essentially, I'm quoting from memory here, I decided you know, if I was going to, I was going to, when I get left, I'm going to uh, take that Calvinist, break that Calvinist yoke off my neck, right? Yeah, this is where he made, where that famous quote comes from that we quote Stinson uh, right. a lot for saying, for after the manner that some called heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. Yeah, as though Craig Schull's uh, really nice little booklet, um, a book that was uh, about Stinson and these early General Baptists in the formation of this is called God of My Fathers. And a really, really nice uh, book. If you have not read it, it's a, it's a good one to look at. Um, yeah, Stinson calls it an escape. Yeah, exactly, right? And, He's and getting, this getting is, away this from is it. An eight, this is in October 1822. So it, it was in October 1822, it takes him basically a year then to, to do what, what's going to happen next. And so what ends up happening then is that Liberty uh, Church ends up being started out of the church that Stinson was already in. Yeah, the New Hope Church. New Hope church. So he, he says that he's going to, the quote, he, the, again, one of the quotes is that he's going to start a church on a better basis. And I, I always think that that's important to think about those words. What is it, what is the better basis for what? And I think pretty clearly the better basis is a better basis for um, being able to share the gospel and people to respond to the gospel, right? He's a, free, looking, a free salvation. Free salvation. He wants, he's, Stinson is an extremely practical revivalist, I think. We often, the story is told like he was a ardent doctrinal person, but for him, the doctrine was extremely practical, um, the better basis for the church is the camp meeting. He wants to be able to do camp meeting revivals. He thinks that that is a mechanism whereby people can be saved. It was a, a very effective means. And so if he can't do that over here in this church, and he can some other way, he's going he's gonna to make his escape, as you said. Yeah, and that was in October 1823. Yeah. So, and, and the, the Howell Church, or the Liberty Church that he founded, yep. they're celebrating their 200th right. anniversary this month. Right. Together with the rest of us, yeah. So he, and how he did that, by the way, we should tell people is that he 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 split the church without doing a church split. How's that? Um, he started what they called an arm, a mission church, essentially, off of the New Hope Church, and in it, basically, most of the people agreed with him about free salvation, and. Uh, then they they did that they 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 constitute that church as a church it's called liberty and then once they're constituted they call Stinson as their pastor and as far as Stinson was concerned um, he even he even says that he says I felt like the Calvinistic yoke was off my neck I was determined never to wear it anymore even if I lived and died in this church connected with no other. Right. He was he was satisfied at that point to break that yoke and to have a church of believers like himself, but it wasn't going to be so. Right. He he immediately, I mean, a church planter is going to do what a church planter does, right? And um, we both know individuals like that even today that whenever they're they're doing what God's called them to do it, it's going to they're going to continue to do that even if they would have been satisfied with just that one church God is doing something else and so they he continues to do camp meeting revivals um, they call them protracted meetings they would meet for many days and out of those he would do them in different locations out of those locations new churches are born and uh, so uh, the starts liberty church in 1823 but by 1824, there are four churches. And he takes those four churches and they form Liberty Association. And for the first time at that point, they use the term General Baptist. And the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> um, but Stinson went through a lot um, in those years following that. There would be a lot of controversy that will follow them around. I have never been super sure in some of the like Randy Mills, who's also written a really good book on this early story of Stinson and these early General Baptists. Uh, Dr. Mills is also not super convinced that Stinson intended to start a new movement. 
Um, I think he may have wanted to just simply get away from those other ones right? and maybe join back with the people in Kentucky who were willing to, to do this without any bar to fellowship. But um, they, the, the New Hope Church and others in the area, they charged them with, in their words, being dis, disorderly, disorderly or out of order, saying that they didn't constitute the church properly. They didn't... Um, make their move their membership properly and so there'll be all these controversies around them and they won't be able to do that um those controversies will kind of follow him around there'll be other times wherever there's potential for him to them to join with other groups uh, don't forget that this is taking place 1823 1824 when they start but stinson he lives and works among General Baptists until he dies in 1869. Yeah, God blessed him with a, a good long ministry. And think about what happened in the space between the two. Uh, the Civil War happens in the middle of all that. And so he's navigating that. The issue of of uh, abolitionism is, in, is something that's in the air. Some of the other Arminian Baptist groups are very anti-abolitionist. Um, Stinson would say that, that General Baptists were, never really took a position, which was really... Um, look, we look back at that historically and we go, wow, why didn't they stay, stand up against that? But, you know, think about their context and where they're at there in, in southern Indiana. Um, it was a borderline place. And so they lived on the borders. And um, so that that was a part of the story. Um, ends up, he he dies. By the way, I should tell say, there were times when he tried to do full-time ministry and it didn't work out very well. Uh, he, for most of his career, he was a bivocational. Bivocational. Uh, was, he was a farmer. Um, he, uh, there's there's lots of different ass, little things he did. He was a little bit in politics a little bit for a while. That didn't now also work out at all for him. Um, and it was a he kind of in disgrace stopped that kind of direction. Um, but he, he was by whenever he was full time, he nearly he and his family nearly starved to death. And so uh, some General Baptist pastors out there may resonate with that storyline. <laughs> um, but that that was a, a part of the, what he experienced. But even in 1869 when he dies, he's been on a travel, he's been continuing to travel, preaching, and basically starts feeling ill on the way home and then ends up dying relatively soon after that. At that point, General Baptists have already grown into multiple associations in right. southern Indiana, multiple associations in Kentucky, Associations in Ohio are in Illinois, Illinois yep. and also at that point in Missouri as well. Yep, that's right. And so uh, from that small beginning, it, it grew incredibly. The first years were difficult. And in 1830, he meets another uh, pastor who is very much like him, Jacob Spear, yeah, who really brings important. several churches to the movement, a real shot in the arm. Yeah, Enon General Baptist Church outside of Princeton, that's where Jacob Spear's church. And from that point on, I mean, uh, Jacob Spear becomes a, a, another pillar in, in the early General yep. Baptist. And from that point on, it's just a story of expansion. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Spear, is um, his his church, Enon, also started another General Baptist church that in, is still there in Princeton today called Columbia General Baptist Church. And um, I actually, that was the, whenever I moved to Indiana, that was the first church I got to work in was Columbia and um, it was an early important church, and that's where Spears Spears buried there in Columbia Cemetery uh, today. Um, and uh, really, and and I've gotten to see that it, it was been an, it was an inspiration to me as a very young minister, largest learning about these stories. Stinson, we should say, is buried in Evansville. We got to go visit his gravesite during the summit this year, and and commemorate the the 200th anniversary and place a wreath there. Um, and uh, said a few words. I read some of his, some of his Stinson's own words about these days, at that at that event. And uh, so it was Stinson's buried there near Hal Church today, and it's just in the same general community in a train yard. It's not a very glamorous place to be, but it, his his gravestone's still there. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's clear that Stinson could not possibly imagine what. The movement he started has become today. Yeah, uh, the global reach that General Baptists have. There's, right. There seems to be no possible way he could have ever imagined or envisioned what God is going to do with 
um, with this story of, of General Baptist. And um, one, of the, one of the things uh, that, that, that stands out to me, I, if I have a guest from uh, a global guest that, that I'm hosting and spend some time with, I often try to take them to that train yard where Stinson right. is buried. And uh, one of those a couple of years ago was uh, the, the moderator of the General Baptist Church of the Philippines. His name is Jaime Mapulto. And so I, I brought him to Evansville, and we went by the, by the train yard, and, and I showed him where Stinson was buried. And we spent some time there, took some pictures there. And, uh, and then he, he, he knelt down beside the grave, and he put his arm across it, and he began to weep. And he said, uh, he said thank you, sir for starting the movement that brought me to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that that encapsul- encapsulizes the story of General Baptist. Mm-hmm. It's a movement of free salvation that's still committed to bringing people to Christ. It's all, that's what it's all about. That's what Stinson, that's what he was doing um, in that regard. Um, he, it, is a, it is accomplished exactly what God seemed to be working in his life at that time. Um, as you think about it, I, I sometimes have thought about this, that Stinson, the General Baptist exists in part because Stinson was just super hard-headed, right? Right, no doubt. He he just had no quit. Like all these people saying, you know, coming up against the whole missions controversy, coming up against the people saying that the church was done in, improperly. And he just, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I, God feels. I've, I feel like God has called me to do. I'm going to do it as faithfully as I can. And, you know, today, I wonder if what God could do if we had, had just a few more super hard-headed people out there. Right? That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. If we just had some more people that would say, I am just not going to quit no matter what. Um, God, thank God for people like that. You, some of, some people, I mean, you may be a pastor out there going, man, those people drive me crazy in my church. God, God can use those kind of people sometimes. And uh, so there's something to be valued in that too. I, I also want to think about like what started then and all this stuff. Why is it so important for us to continue to, to, to talk about this? I love the history for sometimes for its own sake, because yeah, that's, too. that's what, um, that's why you and I putting this together today, this didn't require us to like go through a lot of stuff. We know this story, right? right. And um, there are a lot of General Baptists out there that may not know this story like that. But why, Mark, why do you think that this is something that's still important for us to to talk about? Or why do you think this, this story is still important for I, us I just, today? I think it's amazing. I think the story of Stinson and then later on the story of Ed Stevens. For me, those two stories really... Uh, paint a picture of what God can do with one person's life who is faithful, has no quit in them, and determined just just to be just to be sold out and to be faithful. And and you know, we have people like that in our movement. They may have no idea what influence they have for years to come. And yet the reality is their influence will be felt for many, many years. And and that story of what God can do with one life, uh, to me, is what really is amazing about both of those stories. Yeah, and as I as I try to lead the the, the organization today, um, even as I think about like our some of our core values, they they aren't new things. The core values that we live with, that we try to live in, are things that were started here. They if they're truly a core value for you, that means that they already exist and are a part of your DNA, so to speak. And this whole thing that we as General Baptists, we, we sometimes kind of flex up against this constantly, but we focus on mission and free salvation. Are people be able to come to Christ? Or is it what we do able to be effective in bringing people to Jesus? That is always front and center primary and anything out there that's onto the side of that that pushes against it, we tend to to not want to go that way at all. So if we we would say it this way sometimes in in our within the organization that we focus and we are all about partnering together because of that that whole point of that free salvation, theme. that yeah. common theme. And whenever people try to make us um, push us up against other statements, you know, other 
um, issues that they want to make unifying for us, they tend to, to that doesn't work. Right. So we we partner we we focus on partnership and value that for its missional purposes above any kind of uniformity. Our churches don't have to look the same. Our churches uh, don't have to always do things the same way. Um, our churches don't have to sing all the same music. Our churches don't all have to have the same Bible. Our churches don't have to all speak the same languages. Um, and their expression can be whatever it is in their community in, in a way that is always, though, about the mission of reaching people for Jesus right. and focusing on free salvation wherever that is, whether that's in southeast Missouri where we're sitting right now, whether that's in Jamaica, whether that's in the Philippines, whether that's where... In India, not far, our missions there, and some of them are not far from those stories you talk about Absolutely. from all the way back in those days, that those different places, those different kinds of people, those different kinds of churches, those are all, but because we, we work together and we are partnered together around this the issue of common belief in free salvation for all, then um, and we, we try to live that out in anything that kind of tries to deviate us from that, we we cast off. Need to stay focused. We fo- stay focused on the mission. Well, Mark, thank you for uh, taking some time. I've enjoyed it. Sit down and talk with me about this today. And um, I hope that if you are listening to this podcast today, that you will also take a few moments uh, here in this month to, um, to seek out a little bit of extra information about where General Baptist come from. And maybe if you don't have a copy, get a copy of uh, Dr. Randy Mills' book, Christ Tasted Death for Every Man, or a copy of uh, Craig Schull's book, God of My Fathers. And you can get those uh, by contacting Stinson Press, and uh, they will be happy to help you uh, find a copy of that. If you haven't already done so, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to access our content, and also leave us a review. This helps our content to be discovered by other people and keeps you informed about the newest episodes of the, of the podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you on the next episode of Doing Together.